You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every Wednesday, head on over to your Apple Podcasts app or hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. The legacy of President Richard Nixon is, to put it leniently, a mixed bag. He wound down the American failure that was the Vietnam War, but started the American failure that was the War on Drugs. He oversaw the integration of Southern public schools, the establishment of OSHA. He signed the Endangered Species Act into law, ended the military draft, saw that men walked on the moon, normalized relations with China, and pursued peaceful detente with the Soviet Union. He also made deliberate attempts to sabotage the political system of the United States, kept an extensive list of political enemies of his administration, oversaw the collapse of the Bretton Woods monetary system, and introduced stagflation to the American economy. The potential of the Nixon presidency versus the political reality of the Nixon presidency is the definition of a tragedy. But this episode is not about Richard Nixon. It's about an agency that he created, and how it responded to one of the most hazardous domestic disasters in the latter half of the 20th century. In 1970, Richard Nixon established the Environmental Protection Agency, And a mere two years later, what would soon become a serious and far-reaching test of the EPA's abilities began to fester and grow under the dusty streets of Times Beach, Missouri. This is Hidden History. You're listening to episode 25, Ignorance is Bliss. The town of Times Beach was established in 1925 by the St. Louis Star Times in an effort to earn more money. For the price of $67.50, not only would you receive a six-month subscription to the Star Times newspaper, but you'd also receive a plot of land in Times Beach. The plots were relatively small, and you'd have to buy two of them in order to build a house. The newspaper billed the town as a budding vacation community for the well-off of St. Louis to escape from the crowds of the city and commune with nature, to fish, swim, relax, and live in a small, tight-knit community. For a while, this scheme provided a decent source of income for the Star Times. But then, the Great Depression hit, and not only were people spending less on vacation homes, but they were spending less on newspapers. The full plan for Times Beach was never realized. Just as the Depression ends, civilian gas consumption is rationed to aid the American war effort in World War II. And again, Times Beach fell further from the proverbial light. The St. Louis Star-Times printed its last paper on June 15, 1951, its dream town surviving as a pocket of low-income housing. A group of residents incorporated in 1954, and by 1970 the population had grown to 1,240 people. To say that Times Beach was a poor town would be an understatement. 
consistently unable to procure the necessary funds from the state government, all of the 23 miles of streets in the small town were unpaved. During the summer months, this caused huge amounts of dust. The town's solution to their dust problem came in the form of a single man, Russell Bliss. Russell Bliss ran his own waste oil disposal company, and historically, the spraying of waste oil has been used very effectively to combat dust. Bliss's oil came from gas stations and mechanics, but in 1972, he was approached by a new seller, a chemical supplier called IPC, or the Independent Petrochemical Company. But IPC themselves were not the producers of that waste oil. Rather, they were contracted to dispose of it by the Northeastern Pharmaceutical and Chemical Company, or NAPACO. 230 miles away, in the tiny town of Verona, Missouri, there was a large chemical plant. This plant was owned and operated by the chemical company Hoffman Taft. At their Verona plant, they produced two different herbicides, 245T and 24D. When these two herbicides are combined in equal parts, they form the infamous and incredibly deadly chemical, Agent Orange. A byproduct of the production of Agent Orange is a chemical equal in its lethality, dioxin. As demand for the defoliant dried up in the early 1970s, Hoffman Taft was left with an empty plant. They ended up leasing their Verona facility to a company that made hexachlorophene, a disinfectant that was for years used in things like toothpaste, soap, and baby powder. We now know that hexachlorophene is toxic. The company Hoffman Taft leased their plant to was Napaco. And as a byproduct of their synthesis of hexachlorophene, they also produced dioxin. At the time, dioxin was exceptionally expensive to dispose of, and the only way to safely get rid of it was by incineration. This cost proved to be too much for Hoffman Taft and Napaco, so they both stored this toxic byproduct in a massive holding tank on site. Under Napaco management, the problem of dioxin disposal was becoming more and more serious. They were running out of space. The purification methods Napaco used during hexachlorophene synthesis was able to reduce dioxin concentration from 3 to 5 parts per million to 0.1 parts per million. This resulted in the accumulation of what is called a still bottom or an incredibly concentrated form of dioxin that looks and behaves just like oil. They needed someone to take care of their toxic waste problem before it outgrew their facilities. Napaco decided to contract the disposal of their waste to the lowest bidder, a small chemical supplier called IPC. IPC, not being a chemical disposal company, decided to subcontract the work to their lowest bidder, a waste oil disposal company, run by Russell Bliss. Napago paid IPC 25 cents per gallon to dispose of their waste, while IPC paid Bliss a nickel per. According to Bliss, he was never informed that the waste he was hauling was incredibly toxic. 
In fact, he claims that when he asked plant employees just what exactly this oil came from, they told him it was from machines that made ladies' face cleaner. With that, Bliss hauled away 18 and a half thousand gallons of concentrated dioxin, and seemingly under the impression that it was the standard crankcase oil he was used to, mixed the poison with his existing oil supply. He began to use the contaminated oil to spray down the ground in his own barn and horse arena. It turned out that the mixture worked exceptionally well as a dust suppressant, and on May 26, 1951, Judy Piat and Frank Hempel, owners of the horse farm Shenandoah Stable, contracted him to spray their entire indoor arena. A few days later, the owners noticed something strange. All of the birds that perched in the rafters had simultaneously fallen dead. Over the next few months, 62 horses died or had to be euthanized. Judy Piat and Frank Hempel, as well as Piat's two young daughters who played in the arena, all fell mysteriously ill. In late June or early August, Bliss was hired to spray the facilities at Timberline Stables. Soon after, 12 horses died. The unexplained deaths at these two facilities caught the attention of the Center for Disease Control, but they were unable to deduce that the environment had been poisoned with dioxin. As far as Russell Bliss knew, nothing was wrong with his oil. So when the small town of Times Beach approached him in 1972 with a four-year contract to regularly spray 23 miles of dirt road with waste oil, he took them up on the offer. Over the next four years, Bliss would spray 160,000 gallons of contaminated oil on the streets of Times Beach. Much like the other contamination sites, the town's residents began to fall ill. They got nosebleeds, lesions, swelling in their appendages and faces, diarrhea, and more. And still, nobody drew a connection. On July 30th, 1974, while examining soil samples from Shenandoah stables, the CDC discovered that it contained a dioxin concentration of 30 parts per million. Dioxin is hazardous to humans at one part per billion. With this alarming new discovery at hand, the CDC immediately set out to identify the cause. Eventually, they questioned Russell Bliss about his oil. Bliss said that he didn't know where the dioxin could have come from, but it wasn't from his oil. But then, the CDC found a link. Dioxin is only the byproduct of a few chemical reactions, and when they narrowed their search parameters, they found a company that had contact with Russell Bliss and also synthesized a dioxin-producing chemical. They found Napaco. While Napaco went bankrupt when the market for hexachlorophene collapsed in the summer of 1972, the dioxin they produced still sat at a holding tank at the Verona plant. The CDC thought that what was in the tank was all that remained. But seven years later, they got a tip from a former Napaco employee. 
and the EPA stepped in to deal with what was quickly becoming a gargantuan issue. They got a tip that on a property seven miles outside of Verona, Napaco had paid a farmer $150 to bury things on his land. Those things? 90 barrels of dioxin still bottom, corroded and leaking into the earth. To their horror, the EPA discovered concentrations as high as 2,000 parts per million. This was bad. Dioxin was believed to have a half-life of one year, and in the summer of 1982, the EPA quietly began retesting the soil in the contaminated stables, and in the 10 years since the CDC first analyzed the contaminated soil, the dioxin levels had barely changed. As it turns out, the half-life of dioxin is 7 to 11 years. This was very bad. Later that year, the Environmental Defense Fund leaked a very secret EPA document listing 14 confirmed and 41 suspected dioxin contamination sites. The residents of Times Beach were shocked to learn that their town was on the list. On December 3rd of that year, the EPA tested the soil around Times Beach. Remember that dioxin is hazardous to humans at one part per billion. Levels at Times Beach were 300 times higher than that. On December 4th, the town was struck by a 500-year flood. And on December 23rd, the EPA recommended that the town be abandoned and never resettled. On January 7th, 1983, President Reagan formed the Times Beach Dioxin Task Force. And on February 22nd, it was announced that the federal government would pay $33 million to buy out all of the residents of Times Beach. By 1985, the town was entirely empty, and the governor issued an order of disincorporation. Every single sign that the town of Times Beach had once existed was then destroyed. The whole property, some 400 acres, was constantly patrolled by armed guards. And in 1995, given that the town of Times Beach held the vast majority of the state's dioxin contamination, the state of Missouri built an incinerator on the site. Bit by bit, it cremated the entire town of Times Beach. The cleanup effort is estimated to have cost more than $200 million. And what was a lively little suburban community is now a vast, empty expanse of trees. The Route 66 State Park. IPC, Napaco, and Russell Bliss were the subject of over 14,000 lawsuits. To this day, Bliss maintains his innocence, and it is important to note that he never did actually do anything illegal. Waste oil spraying was a common practice, and he wasn't legally obligated to keep records of what he was hauling for IPC. IPC was forced to pay billions of dollars in damages, causing it as well as its parent company to go bankrupt. Napaco, while non-existent since 1972, 
was forced to reimburse the government for the cleanup of its illegal waste dumping outside of Verona. To this day, there are still rumors of hundreds of barrels of dioxin buried in the surrounding countryside. They are, more likely than not, just rumors. The contamination at Times Beach is one of the most serious environmental disasters in American history. But who deserves most of the blame? That is not a question for me to answer, but rather something that I want you to decide for yourself. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. It was actually kind of terrifying to research and write, so all in all, I'm glad that part's over. The music in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod. Catch the next episode next Wednesday online at any time, or on air on 88.3 FM WDCV at 5 p.m. Thanks for listening. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.